As our understanding of the world and medicine grows, certain things have to change. Things like leeches, cigarettes, and heroin were all considered to be good for you until we learned how bad they were. And now we're seeing therapies from things we used to only see as illegal street drugs. Welcome to the Just Dumb Enough podcast, a show that acknowledges no one is always an expert by dispelling misconceptions with real experts. I'm your host as always, Colton Petrie. My guest today is Jonathan DePotter. Jonathan owns the psychedelic, plant-based Behold Retreats. While still a relatively new thing, Jonathan brings a wealth of knowledge from his six years working with natural medicines most commonly used for psychedelic therapies. Psilocybin, the magic mushroom, ayahuasca, and 5-MeO-DMT, the god molecule. It's a wild topic, and I think most people in the world are unaware that these things are legally accessible to most everyone. I know my personal knowledge of hallucinogenic drugs before having this conversation was basically non-existent. Now I'm curious to see the directions that things are heading in, and just how much good can come from something that millions have gone to prison across the globe previously for. Let's do drugs, do medicine. What's the phrase I'm looking for? Welcome to the show, Jonathan DePotter. Thanks, Colton. It's uh, it's really great to be here. Yeah, it's, I'm so happy to have you on the show. Why don't you kind of introduce yourself for the audience? Yeah, sure. Um, my name is Jonathan DePotter, and uh, I was born in Greece to uh, quite hippie parents, um, raised predominantly in the U.S., in Hawaii, and um, spent most of my life in the corporate world. And now I run psychedelic plant medicine retreats. And I'm um, very excited to explore that topic with you today. Yeah, I am very excited to hear about this. And I'm sure most of the audience has no idea what we're talking about when you say psychedelic plant, like based medicine. What is all this? Yes. Yeah, so there's a number of psychedelic plant medicines out there. Uh, we predominantly work with uh, three different medicines, which strictly speaking, you could say is number one, a fungus, psilocybin, or the magic mushroom. Number two, ayahuasca, which is the combination of two plants, uh, very well known and very potent, and powerful uh, psychedelic medicine. And then third, and fin finally, 5-MeO-DMT, also known as Bufo or the God molecule, uh, which confusingly comes from a plant, uh, an animal, and also is available in set synthetic form. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, people use the term plant medicine as a bit of an umbrella, even as and when it doesn't necessarily strictly apply. Yeah, you're like, one of these is kind of a fungus that's plant-ish. One of them is you know, a, a mixture, and then the other one could be anything. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Awesome. So what came around first? Like when you started working with these as a medicine, like what was the first thing you started with? So I actually had my first retreat with ayahuasca uh, about six years ago now, and it was a very powerful experience. It was much more powerful than I expected, uh, as a matter of fact. And I went into that experience as an atheist and I came out, 
uh, with the doors to spirituality having been opened. Uh, but it was a very intense experience, and I don't think I was very well prepared for it. So over the years that followed and, you know, with more guidance and a deeper understanding of this work really motivated me to support my friends, subsequently my colleagues, and, you know, the business that we have today, Behold Retreats, is really just um, basically a representation of what I wish was there for me uh, when I started out along the journey. Yeah. And what was that like for you? Like, I mean, first of all, what is ayahuasca? Like we said, it's a couple of plants, but what, what really goes into that? Yeah. So, um, it's, a, I guess by tradition, it's a native American slash, you know, central and South American, uh, indigenous medicine. And it's the combination of two plants, uh, ayahuasca and also shakruna. And they're combined together confusingly to make ayahuasca. And, um, you know, there's a lot of different traditions. Uh, the medicine is brewed and used in different ways, uh, but often commonly in, in healing ceremonies uh, and more and more commonly in a retreat context. So uh, generally speaking, you know, five to one week, five day to one week long retreats uh, where we would have, say, two, three, four ceremonies over that duration. And it's a medicine that you take uh, usually in the evening because it makes you quite sensitive from a visual perspective and it has very powerful healing effects. So uh, it can help us, you know, clear out past childhood traumas, limiting beliefs. Uh, it can also really help with, you know, deeper self-understanding um, and personal growth. Uh, and then it can also facilitate, you know, pretty incredible experiences that are spiritual in nature, you know, universal love and interconnectivity of all things, all of these, you know, transcendent types of experiences uh, that have been written about in virtually every uh, religious and um, in spiritual tradition around the world. Um, so it really, you know, can facilitate, uh, shall we say, an accelerated uh, spiritual uh, development and, and understanding. Yeah, as you kind of said for yourself, you're like, you know, I came into this total atheist and i left like pretty open to the idea how long are these ceremonies like each one is it like one per day kind of a thing that's right yeah so usually you gather in the evenings uh once uh once things have um you know once the sun has set and it's a little darker and you know it's hard to say precisely sometimes you know ceremony is wrapped up from 7 p.m to let's just say midnight 1 a.m other times it goes all the way around the clock till 7 a.m the next morning and um you know it really depends on um the intensity of the ceremony which you know this is non this is powerful non-deterministic work so uh, there's a lot of variables that go into the work and you know sometimes people have the opportunity to drink medicine multiple times within a single ceremony other times that's not the case and so you know that can also affect the the length of the ceremonies themselves Gotcha. So there's quite a lot of variables coming into this, like who you are, how the medicine works with you, how you're experiencing the whole thing, like quite a lot of, of up in the air math. That's right. And, and that's why it, part of what I think is so important for this work is to be prepared, you know, um, to really know our intentions to step into such a retreat, such a ceremony, and really have done mental and emotional work on ourselves beforehand so that we can surface, um, you know, some of the things that are holding us back in life and bring those into the ceremony with intention so that we can really work with the medicine and clear it out in the, in the ceremony.
Yeah, I mean, that's a very simple idea, but it's something very critical. You're saying have some focus. Like, don't just yeah. come into this and jump into the deep end of the pool. Like, have an idea of why you're jumping in and what, you know, what's going on around you. Absolutely. You know, it's um, these medicines really do respond to intentionality. So the more deeply we have kept an intention for ourselves, you know, maybe, for example, clearing past trauma, childhood trauma, uh, if we're really, you know, uh, in the weeks and even months leading up to a retreat, saying, I'm going to heal all my trauma, I'm going to heal all my trauma, I'm going to heal all my trauma, and even meditating on on such a, such a thing such that, you know, there's a sort of energetic investment that uh, that can be reciprocated then when we step in to work with the medicine. Yeah, of course. And so one of the others you had mentioned is psilocybin, which mm -hmm. I think m most people are probably pretty familiar with. It's pretty common to hear, I feel like, in our everyday lives. And it's getting a lot of use, I would say not in the legal aspect, but it's getting a lot of use for people who are saying, like, this is part of my microdosing routine. Uh -huh. Is that kind of how you guys use it? Is in this, like, micro setting? Or do you go, like, full bore? Yeah, so we we don't do microdosing. Um, it's, uh, it's increasingly common, uh, as you say. And, you know, with microdosing, I think it's uh, it can be a softer introduction into, you know, developing our neuroplasticity and, you know, can make things like meditation, which can be hard for people a little bit easier. Um, on our retreats, we actually do higher dose retreats, uh, higher doses. So a um, bit more powerful uh, of an experience. And often people are looking for some support and some guidance around that to really get the most out of the experience and also to hold the space so that, you know, you feel um, you feel safe and spiritually protected as well, because, you know, with these work, with this work, uh, powerful, uh, powerful energies can come to the surface. And so, you know, the role of a facilitator, the role of a healer is really to make sure that people are being well looked after uh, through what can be, you know, a reasonably intense experience. Yeah. And I think that probably keeps a lot of people from ever considering it because they're like, well, I don't want to be in this space you know, where I'm incredibly vulnerable because I'm on a very, you know, psychedelic or very active drug. Like, I don't want to be too far gone so that people can just like take advantage of me. And you're like, that's not like we are giving you a safe space to do this and guiding you through it. Yeah, quite right. And I think, you know, it's, it's one of these things where there's no such thing as selling work of this nature. Either people feel this really deep intuitive call to explore this and to you know be supported in in such a way for this deep self exploration, or they don't really feel called uh, to do this work, or they just prefer to do it themselves because they feel like they um, you know they have what they need to to be able to explore this without any support and guidance. And you know, there's a lot of people who say there's a right and a wrong way, and I don't look at it quite that way. You know, I think this work really does represent a return to return and also an acknowledgement of the importance of allowing everyone to make their own decisions uh, for themselves. And um, there's no right or wrong way. It's just 
what it is that resonates with you, what is it that allows you to feel comfortable um, to further self-exploration. And, you know, for some people, psychedelics is on the, the menu. For other people, not so much. Maybe it's more meditation or breath work or hiking out in nature or, you know, different spiritual religious traditions uh, that, that exist. So, again, it's really, you know, I, I see psychedelics as not positive or negative. It's a very powerful tool. You know, in my mind, probably the most powerful tool that we have to explore ourselves, the, the world that exists the universe that exists within us um, and you know for many people they have never had an experience where they're able to open up the universe that exists within uh, and so it's a very uh, powerful experience for those who you know again feel feel called to pursue such a thing yeah and i think you know with both of these like both psilocybin and ayahuasca they've started to become a lot more popular into you know the mainstream like we're seeing celebrities that are saying yeah, I went on an ayahuasca retreat and I feel fantastic. Like I have a totally different outlook and I feel so much better. And I think that kind of helps people to say like, oh, maybe this is an option for me. Maybe it's something I can look into, but it's very like shrouded in mystery. It is. It is. And, you know, I'm glad I'm glad you raised that because as psychedelics and ayahuasca in particular moves more and more into the you know public uh, zeitgeist, shall we say, um, what that does mean and the risk, the potential risk that 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 comes with that is that people are more of a mind. Yes, rather than a soul. Yes, if that makes sense. And so there's kind of this societal pressure. Oh, you have to go try this. You know, it really changed my life. And, you know, people hear that a couple of times, you know, it's 10 years of therapy in a week and all of these, you know, incredible uh, positive transformations that are possible. But there are, you know, there are lots of challenging stories out there as well. And so, you know, you know, a business like ourselves is obviously, you know, interested in amplifying the upside. Um, but there's a lot of sad stories out there. You know, if you look up ayahuasca and abuse, you're going to see any number of stories about, you know, the, you know, unfortunate situations where the person who is facilitating was not, you know, in alignment with the um, you know, the sensitive nature of the work and, and stepped out of line. Uh, and that's just really common. And unfortunately, you know, this is a nascent and still unregulated ecosystem. So for those people who seek to do this work in legal locations, that requires a flight to say Costa Rica or to Peru or to Mexico in order to do it in an environment where, you know, there's no, there's no prohibition uh, against the work as as there is in the U.S. So um, I think it's great that, you know, more and more people are uh, building momentum into uh, exploring exploring the self, whether that's through psychedelics or, or otherwise. But it comes for us as a business, it kind of comes with a little bit of a um, asterisk next to it in the sense that we really have to put a lot of time and energy to make sure that people are truly ready. Yeah, it's a lot of responsibility, especially when you're talking like, look, you can't do this in your home country. It's illegal, it's banned, it's whatever it is. Like, we need you to come to our location to make sure that you're taken care of. There are other people in these areas that do it as well. However, like, be very wary if you're looking at, like, what's the cheapest option? This one says $300. Be aware that if it's too good of a deal, like, it may be, you know, because there is a very high risk factor associated with that 
There is, you know, and um, that's that's one of the things that we set out to do a little bit differently. We we do much smaller groups than is the norm. You know, often you will find retreats with 20 or 50 people uh, in a single room doing medicine together. And, you know, that can be that can be pretty intense. And, you know, those sorts of numbers have their origins in indigenous tribal use of medicine where they were coming together, say, twice a year to clear out the last six months of drama in the tribe. Now, for someone coming down from, you know, a big city in the US or something like that, often we're carrying generations of trauma that has just been kind of built up and has has not yet been resolved in a meaningful way. And so, you know, doing that in a room with 50 other people may not be in your best interests. And so we do, you know, again, much smaller groups. Uh, we don't overwork our our facilitators and healers, making sure that they're well rested so that they can, you know, show up in full energetic alignment for uh, our guests on retreat. But, you know, if you've got nice accommodation and a smaller group and people who are being well looked after, then, you know, the the unfortunate reality is that the price point is no longer $300 for, for a week. It's uh, It's substantially different than that. Yeah, of course. And that's one of those where it's like, you know, you don't want to take the cheapest option on some of these things, like, especially when you're calling it like, this is medicine, we are doing ceremony, there is, you know, safety and a group like, you don't want the cheapest option out there. Like, if I gave you a pill, and I'm like, it's the cheapest on the market, you're like, is it? Is it okay to use? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I like that. It's, um, you know, there's a quote that you reminded me of, which is, choose your choose your facilitator, like you would choose your neurosurgeon. You know, it's you, you don't want to just walk into the first neurosurgeon that you that you hear of, or the first one you find in the in the local directory and be like, okay, let's do brain surgery. And this is, you know, in a manner of speaking, it, it really is brain surgery, you're seeking to change your patterns of mind, you're ch seeking to change your neuroplasticity. Um, you know, you're trying to harmonize mind, body, heart and spirit in ways that they had never have been before. Um, and so, you know, doing so in, uh, uh, with people who really know what they're doing makes all the difference. Yeah, of course. And before I get too far into this, I want to talk about the third thing on this list, which is, and correct me if I'm wrong, five M E O DMT. Yeah. Okay. And that's like a way more technical name than say like ayahuasca or <laughs> mushrooms. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, um, it's a powerful medicine. It's generally recognized as four to six times more powerful than ayahuasca. And, um, you know, for, for people who are, you know, practiced meditators, it's a possible starting point, uh, very potent starting point for sure. But for anyone who's not a serious meditator, I would steer them away from that medicine in the first instance, just because of its potency. Um, but it's an incredible experience. You know, it's, um, it's certainly been my medicine of choice. I, I don't do psychedelics anymore. Um, I just received the message that I had had enough and, um, and I just, you know, meditate and, and look after myself in, in other ways. But, um, it, 5-MeO-DMT can facilitate what is known as a non-dual experience. So when we break through with the medicine, um, we can actually experience oneness. And what we mean by that is that your inner universe and your outer universe merge. So there's no more outer world and inner world. 
it's all just one. And so, um, yeah, there's no more subject object and we can go up to very high vibrations and have, you know, very profound insights and downloads, um, from, from this medicine. We can also, you know, equally go down to very low places and release stuff that's really tucked away, way down there. And, um, you know, I think this is really, I think it will be the future of psychedelic medicine just because it is so powerful, but only once people have really begun to harmonize their own consciousness and they're able to calibrate, you know, towards uh, true north, shall we say, uh, a little bit better. Uh, it's definitely not something that you would start with um, without any, any past experience, I would say. Yeah, anyone that missed that part earlier in this conversation, this is the one you called the God Molecule, in case you're like, yeah, it's a little serious. <laughs> indeed, indeed, you know, and it's uh, it's aptly named. It's, um, you know, we've had guests that um, have come on retreat and some skepticism and, yeah, okay, does this work? And, yeah, breakthrough experience. And once you once you know from your own lived experience that everything's okay, there's no going back from that. Like you just, you're able to reconnect to that sense of inner knowing that like it's all one, everything's okay. And you know, it will change your life forever. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly an experience. I don't feel like we're going to get in other places where, like you said, you know, yourself, your internal, you know, machinations and everything like combining with everything around you that's not really an experience where you're like, oh, can I simulate this in some other way? You're like, no, we're going to kind of just mash these things together for you. And then you're going to learn what that experience is like. Cause even now it's hard to describe. Like I don't have words that would give like good foundation to what that even means conceptually. Yeah, exactly. And, and well said, you know, people often use the word ineffable, impossible to describe. And no words can ever do justice to the power and the beauty of some of these experiences, but also, you know, the, the lows, you know, so as, as high as we want to go. And uh, as far as I can tell, it's infinite in terms of how high we can go into, you know, the, the source of creation or uh, whatever language we might like to use as high as we might like to go equally, we have to go down to the other polarity and kind of dredge up and dredge out uh, whatever, whatever things are down there, uh, holding us back from reaching a, you know, a, a lighter version of, of ourselves, shall we say. Yeah. And the only thing I had kind of heard, you know, other than like some, some treatments that are going on about DMT is that it's very short. Like the experience itself is much shorter than almost anything else. That's right. So, um, so there's a distinction I'll make between DMT and 5-MeO-DMT. So DMT is actually the psychoactive molecule within ayahuasca uh, and 5-MeO-DMT is, it's related, but it is substantially more, more powerful. And um, you're quite right. You know, when you smoke uh, 5-MeO-DMT, which is the normal way to, to take it or the most common way to take it, it's uh, generally a, something like a 30 minute experience. Um, but if we break through during that experience, we cease to understand time as we presently do. Uh, and so the, the whole concept of time goes away for, for pretty much the duration. Um, and uh, so, so time isn't really relevant, shall we say, in that context. Yeah, it's just a very different, you know, when we're talking about like, oh, using ayahuasca, if you have this very long ceremony and session and you're doing a lot of work, 
Like you might be at this for 12 hours and it may feel significantly longer, you know, during that. But you're like, five MEO DMT, it's about 30 minutes. But the time inside of that is null and void <laughs> for all <laughs> intents and purposes. Yeah, you know, and it's um, as you begin to work with that medicine, like the way that I sometimes describe it is like, first, when you start with 5-MeO-DMT, the bus is driving you. Like you you really don't have much say in exactly what's going on. It's very, the medicine has something very specific in mind for each and every one of us, as, as I can tell. You can, of course, set your intention, but once you're on the rocket ship for the first time, like you've pointed in a direction. Now the rocket ship is doing what a rocket ship does. Um, but then subsequent to that, we be, do begin to be able to, you know, I say turn the wheel a few degrees left, a few degrees right, uh, and ultimately begin to, you know, navigate the inner world much in the same way as uh, we can with other medicines like psilocybin and ayahuasca. But it really takes some um some development of your own mental and spiritual capacities to be able to work with the medicine in a way that allows you to navigate the very many dimensions that do exist uh, in a meaningful way. Yeah. And like you said, this is kind of the advanced medicine part of this where you're like, I wouldn't just jump into 5-MeO-DMT. Like maybe, you know, try ayahuasca. And is there a natural stage like somebody trying to get into the psychedelic you know medicine world should they start with psilocybin and then move up to ayahuasca and then move up to 5-meo yeah i mean there's no there's no right and wrong here you know some people do intuitively feel called towards 5-meo immediately you know um i'm actually in the midst of replacing myself as as ceo within the org my organization and the lady who's replacing me had never done any psychedelics. She went straight to 5-MeO-DMT, had really an amazing, amazing first retreat with us and has done, you know, various other medicines with, uh, with us since then. Um, but she really, she just knew that was going to be her medicine. Um, and, you know, it's not our place to say no. It's our place to understand why it is that they've chose that medicine, whether they're truly ready for that medicine. And if the, you know, if the soul just feels that that's the path and that's what they're doing, then, then great, beautiful. And so be it. Um, but, you know, generally speaking, people do uh, feel called towards a uh, psilocybin or ayahuasca retreat in the first instance uh, as they're getting started. And, you know, there's not that many people, you know, are, are meditating. You know, I don't I would love to see some statistics, but, you know, most people still really struggle because this thing is just super active. You know, the mind is going, going, going. And uh, so they struggle to meditate. And with some help from you know, psilocybin or ayahuasca, we can turn off what is known is the default mode network of our brain, or at least dampen down the default mode network of our brain uh, for the first time, which really allows this exchange of information between regions of the brain that don't normally exchange information. And so that's, you know, part of what uh, allows so many of the benefits to come through. Um, but that also shows people it, it can really facilitate and help people in their own meditation practice because now they've had this experience of this default mode network being dampened down and they go home and uh, can really begin to, to work on their meditation practice. Yeah. And this all sounds incredible, you know, like the things it can offer you and the, the experience itself. Now I'll ask the question that I'm sure someone like my grandmother would immediately want to ask, which is, 
is this all safe? Are they safe to use? It's a good question to ask. So the short answer is yes, with an asterisk. Now, if the work is being done to a high standard, people are being taken through a you know medical and psychiatric screening um, to make sure that they're in you know good a good state of, of affairs, and you know the the spiritual protection within the retreat within ceremonies is being taken seriously and guided by experts in the space. Then yes, you know broadly speaking, this work is safe. The one caveat to that is the the biggest risk is people that are between 20 and 30 years old who have a genetic predisposition to um, schizophrenia or psychosis or bipolar, but they have not yet had a major break. So these are people who probably would have had a break somewhere in this decade of their lives, but they haven't had one yet. And so, of course, an experience of this nature can trigger something that was going to come. So this is really the these are the small, small group of people. You know, I don't know what the number is. Maybe it's one in 20,000 or something like that, that it's really hard to identify these people. Um, and, you know, it's that's the that's really the at risk category all else being, you know, well planned for professionally and, and uh, you know, screened for, et cetera. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, and I assume that's what the, uh, you know, the, the health screenings and things are for is you're like, hey, let's talk about family history. Do you have a family history of schizophrenia? Maybe yeah. psychoactive drugs are not for you. Exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, usually, usually like we do, we do a lot more with each of our guests than most of the retreat centers out there. So we really do orient our services around the individual. So it's not like, Hey, you know, go to our website book now and you're another butt on another seat on another retreat. We really like to see the whites of the eyes for every single one of our guests to say, is this person really, you know, is, is the energy aligned? Are they ready for this? Do they have a lot of fear associated with the experience? Where is that coming from? All of these sorts of good things so that, you know, we can, um, yeah, we can, we can make sure that we're, um, upholding, uh, upholding safety first and foremost for, for all involved. Yeah. And the other thing I had just kind of wondered because I had heard about it you know, being used in other places or in other points in time or just in conversations because there's other psychedelics out there. Have you considered any of the others or is there reason to steer away from some of the other psychedelics? Yeah, good question. Um, you get as many opinions on this subject as there are people who have an opinion on psychedelics, which is, as far as I can tell, one for one. Uh, with people who have taken psychedelics. So um, now that being said, I think um, it really comes back to intention. You know, why are you using uh, psychedelics and why is it that you are hoping to um, use this one or use that one? Um, and just, you know, doing doing your own research and getting your own clarity on what draws people in a particular direction um, for particular experiences. And, you know, there's also, I would say, nothing wrong with exploration for the sake of exploration so you know in my case um, given that i was setting up a, a psychedelic um, retreats business i felt it was you know in my interests to develop a broad understanding of the medicines that are out there now that being said you know 
I have a good understanding of the popular medicines, but there are many, 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 many more that are uh, that are far less popular and far less available. So, you know, for myself, I have an experience with I have experience with LSD, with mescaline, with um, iboga, and um, some of the, some of the others out there as well. But you know, there's there's hundreds of others that I do not have experience with because they're just far less popular. And you know, there's honestly there's very little demand for those on the the long the long tail um, of of the various psychedelics that are that are out there. So. Again, I come back to encouraging people to educate themselves with respect to the various medicines and uh, just understanding why they're why they're being drawn in one direction or the other. Yeah, absolutely. So when people come to your retreats and they're talking to people, is there kind of, I don't want to say like a most common, but like a general like starting point where most people come in and they're like, this is kind of what I hope to get out of this. You know, what I always say with this one is that be, we, we can see now with the science, the breadth of applications that are coming through. So, you know, healing past trauma, uh, grief, um, anxiety, depression, uh, eating disorders, uh, smoking cessation, weight loss, um, you know, there's a research piece that has just been released that shows a correlation between um, people who have done psychedelics and physical activity. Um, so the list becomes quite long. And then, you know, the a healthy skeptic would go, well, hey, what's going on here? Is the psychedelics cure everything? Um, and, and the answer is yes and no. Um, it, in my experience, and again, this is my subjective truth, um, it's all consciousness. It's all one thing. And so once we see that for ourselves and we release those things that are not us, then then we can get um, this this broader and deeper understanding of who and what we really are and, you know, develop the knowledge of our own mind, body, heart and spirit to further advance ourselves and to, to just really let go of anything that's uh, not us. And so. Um, to come back to your to your question, you know, certainly a lot of people who are um, seeking to heal past trauma, uh, certainly a lot of people who are feeling stuck or just not themselves anymore. You know, we we do attract a, a large proportion of professionals who I would say have reached a point in their life where what has been working for usually a decade or two is no longer working, right? So either their relationship is falling apart and um, they don't know uh, why, you know, they don't really understand the role that they've played in that or, um, you know, they, they no longer feel excited about doing the work that they do. They're feeling a little bit apathetic. They're feeling stuck in life. Um, they're in the middle of a transition, you know, perhaps leaving their uh, leaving their job and moving into um, a, a sort of more retirement or semi-retirement. They're looking to reconnect with their joy for life or they're looking for, you know, a spiritual experience. And so um, the, the, the variety of motivations are many. Um, and then also we have, I would say, you know, probably I would say 20% of our guests are on uh, some SSRIs, some, some, you know, medications from a pharmaceutical perspective, and they don't want to be on those anymore. So we can guide them through the process of uh, coming off of those medications and coming onto a retreat to really begin to heal the mind. Um, and, uh, you know, we have pretty good success rate in terms of those people staying off the meds. So 
that's a that's another uh, big motivator for a lot of people. Yeah, and I've certainly heard a lot of people just kind of using you know ayahuasca or any of these sorts of things to help in treatment for PTSD. And that yeah. seems like a very delicate line to walk because it's not necessarily like, you know, we've talked a lot about dealing with your past traumas in these ways. That's kind of an uncomfortable experience. That's a bit more on the low side, I would assume, as opposed to like, I want to search for a higher spiritual purpose. Like dealing with a pretty you know, traumatic experience in your past, like that's got to be a bit of a, a, a fragile eggshell type of walking. Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of people have big traumas from their past. Um, the question is to what degree they are aware of them. So in my case, I had huge childhood trauma from age four that I had really fundamentally no idea about my entire life. It was, you know, the brain is, very um an advanced an advanced machine that is really uh good at hiding things from itself to allow it to continue to operate and so i had this huge childhood trauma from age four again i had no idea about it and so working with um, psychedelic plant medicine was really fundamental to me actually going in and being able to relive this experience and then release the energies that were in my body associated with that experience. So it was almost like some like precision, precision surgery. It went down. I, I feel like I went down into this, you know, very low dimension, relived this traumatic experience. It all happened relatively smoothly and relatively quickly. And then out and from down on the right side of my abdomen, it was like this big stone had been removed and it came up, up, up and out and straight out of my mouth, basically, not in a physical form, just in an energetic form. And um, I, I genuinely felt like I, I weighed 20 or 30 pounds less um, coming out of that experience. And it was like weight that I had never regained. It was, and it was for the, the day or two that followed. It was really like something was missing from my right-hand side, but in a like liberating sort of a way. Um, and really, you know, in a, in a deep way, it was that experience because, you know, I count myself super lucky, like very loving parents. They never projected very much on me whatsoever um, and, and protected me as best they could. And yet I had this very traumatic experience. And so the moment that I was able to connect with that and release it, it explained so much about these aspects of myself that I was struggling to um understand so you know previously i was much faster to frustration and anger and you know it was sometimes not very nice to myself as well as to, to others and it was like oh well you know there was this this trauma that took place that kind of in, in some ways kind of informed some of these behaviors not to excuse myself but there was something there there was a relationship between this previous trauma and um some of the you know less beautiful aspects of my character and so once i was able to release that i was able to see and acknowledge that and begin to work with that in a way to to adjust the character um in a in a in a nice way shall we say yeah and as you'd said this kind of bypasses some of those like you know the default mode of your brain kind of works around this so you're like even if you have kind of blocked this memory out the medicine itself doesn't care that you've blocked it out it's like oh look a thing we need to explore and you're like oh no <laughs> here we go 
That's it. That's it. Well said. And I look at these medicines from a vibratory perspective, right? So it's our natural state to deepen in spirituality, to um, to become more expanded, to become the best versions of ourselves over the course of our lifetime. But there's some stuff that's just kind of holding us down. And so these medicines really work in a vibratory sense and help us harmonize the aspects of our being. Um, and with that, then these things can come to the surface so that we can begin to work with them and, uh, and release them. So obviously there is, like you said, there's this weight that's been lifted off of you, out of you, and you're like, wow, that's, that's really weird. It feels unusual for this internal pressure to be gone. Does that feeling kind of last for a long time? Does it ever like creep back in and have to be readdressed? Or is it just kind of like you've dealt with that 100% and it just removes it? And eventually you just get used to that weight not being there. Yeah, I think it's the I think it's the latter, you know, in this in this example, like, it's not to say that I never got frustrated or angry again. Um, it's just that the severity of the trigger, um, the triggers, shall we say, would just greatly reduced. Um, and I've never felt like there was any further work required on that particular trauma. It was just, yeah, it was discovered, released, and kind of let go of um, from a, a mental and emotional perspective very quickly um, for me. And um, so that's not to say that that's going to be the case for everyone. Sometimes there's many layers to to these traumas. Um, but in this example, yeah, it, it, it just left me and I never, never really looked back. Yeah, because I imagine there is like, you know, once you, you're, you've got that out of your system, you're like, oh, so much better, miles better. And then a while later, I don't know how much longer, but a month, a year, something, you're just like, it feels like there's still more in here. How often can or should you, you know, go through experiences like this? Like how often should you be doing a psychedelic retreat if you feel like you still have problems? Yeah, there's, there's a couple dynamics that are i think important in relation to this the first is self-acceptance um, and and balance and self-love um, because you know in, in going through an experience like this and releasing a trauma of this nature a natural question is okay what else is in there if that was in me then what else is in me and, you know you know a lot of the these traumas have been passed down through the ancestral lineage so we've got many 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 generations of stuff that has accumulated and has been passed down and uh depending on whether or not you believe this uh, i do i didn't used to there's also past life stuff there from our own individual past lives um and so uh one of the risks that that i see is that people take a, a bit of a warrior's mindset to their quote unquote healing work and they throw themselves a little bit too uh, aggressively into the work to be done. Um, and I know I have certainly done that. There's a number of my team members who um, sheepishly admit to having done the same at, uh, at different periods of their life. And um, yeah, you know, to really, to really be patient with yourself and to um, tap into your intuition to stay balanced and you know to do the work which is in my mind it's like daily meditation 
eating well, exercising, um, you know, mental and emotional work, understood, like really becoming much more conscious and aware of when we get triggered. Why did we get triggered? You know, when those moments arise, leaving the room and really just doing the, the self-exploration work to try and understand what is it that happened there? How is it that we can manage ourselves better, do the self-parenting work? Uh, and, you know, that's the work to be done, not to attend another psychedelic retreat. So we're always encouraging people to try to make more progress with less medicine. Um, and and then, of course, you know, as and when the time is right, um, you know, consider consider another retreat. But I really think that this is such a powerful tool for making more of ourselves available to ourselves. And the real work to be done is to deepen that that connection with ourselves and to be able to continue to do that without any medicine. Um, and so and so, yes, it's a powerful tool. Yes, it's exciting. Yes, we want to do more of that. Um, but at the same time, it's uh, you know, we don't want to get distracted by the light show. Yeah, you're like, pace yourselves, I get that the experience in itself is exciting, but is it beneficial? And you had said, like, you reached a point where you're, you're like, I think I'm all done. Like, I don't, I don't need to utilize this anymore. I've kind of, you know, used it to the best of its ability, and I feel like I can manage everything moving forward on my own. Was that like a light switch moment? Like, it just clicked on, and you're like, oh, I'm done. <laughs> You know, it was um, it was something that I intuitively felt um, as as you do more and more of this work, you do tend to further develop your sensitivity. So sensitivity and consciousness, you could pretty much use interchangeably. Um, and so you end up using less and less medicine. Uh, over time and you know I, I had met some facilitators who were like oh you're not you're not using enough medicine it's like yeah I, I only need like the littlest bit to to send me to you know to some pretty spectacular places and so um, I intuitively felt that I had kind of quote unquote had enough uh, and then I got some external confirmation from that I was actually uh, had a, um, a reading with a channel and she says wow you've got a lot of uh, a lot of substances in your system and uh, I'm receiving that uh, you might consider taking a good long break from from those substances and you know further your own self-understanding without any outside support because you know, it's funny, I got into a little bit of a back and forth with someone recently, all in good, all in good, uh, in, in good spirit. But um, they were saying, yeah, like ayahuasca is my spiritual path. And I was like, hey, look, like I sell ayahuasca retreats for a living. And let me just say that ayahuasca is not a spiritual path. It's a very powerful tool to help you and to accelerate your spiritual path. Uh, but it's not a spiritual path in of itself. And uh, they really took, you know, they took offense to that. And they're like, no, 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 this is my spiritual path. And it's like, look, I, with all the love in my heart, like, don't, my recommendation to all people would be not to attach their spiritual path to something external. Like there's so many good external things, whether those are teachers or spiritual traditions or, um, you know, a psychedelic retreat or um, hiking out in nature. There's so many ways, so many things that are out there that can really facilitate our own spiritual development. But ultimately, the spiritual development is all about your inner world um, and making sure that we don't attach too strongly uh, to anything on the outside to further our own inner development. Yeah, because I'm sure there's a lot of perception out there where people are like, oh, they're just, you know, building these these foundations up so that they can do drugs as much as they want. And you're like, I'm doing the opposite. I'm trying to use as little as possible. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's right. You know, it's, um, it's really another dynamic, another dynamic that's important is that, you know, the, the vibrate, what I call the vibration of the portal determines what progress we can make on a single retreat. Um, and so what I, what I share with people is that, you know, if, in physics, if you have a high frequency and a low frequency, the low frequency is always harmonizing up to the high frequency. So the quality of the facilitator, we might think of in vibrational terms. So if they're very experienced, if they're very well rested and they're full of energy, they're going to be able to open a portal to a very high dimension. Uh, and so that's going to bring you up very quickly over the, the course of a week. Um, in contrast, if the facilitator or the healer is overworked, there's 30 people in the room, it's just, it's going to be, you know, you're still going to have a profound experience. Like I always say to people, you go on any retreat aggregator website, you're going to see that everything's being rated as five stars. So, you know, without a shadow of a doubt, you take these medicines, you're going to have a powerful experience, but consciousness itself is infinite. You could wander around back here for decades and, um, and still not necessarily be any better off. You know, I, I always say to people, there's no shortage of people out there who have been taking psychedelics for 20 years and their relationships are still a disaster. They don't do, they don't do work that they enjoy. They're super judgmental and negative about this and that and the other. And they are always blaming other people and, and perhaps they're even their house is a mess. So it doesn't necessarily yield an ordered consciousness uh, unless you're really taking the mental and emotional aspects of this, of this work seriously. It's very easy to get uh, confused on more dimensions uh, rather than to to get the benefits that we're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. And I know I've kept you here for a while. I had just a couple more questions. Where in the world, you know, at large, can this be done safely and legally? Yeah, so the, the legally is the, the tough part um, because there's a lot of jurisdictions that it's not legal, strictly speaking, but it is permitted. And so, you know, if we take Costa Rica, for example, it's not legal, but there is many dozens of, you know, ayahuasca retreat centers that are operating quite publicly. And there's never really been any uh, significant prohibition efforts within Costa Rica. So I use that as one example of like the it's not legal, but it is permitted. Um, and so that's, you know, it's important for people to be to be conscious of that. Um, and to you know do their own research on the various countries if if um, if they're interested in exploring a retreat to understand you know the pros and cons of various locations, um, and then and then safety you know the the people who do this work well want to live in places where the work is permitted. They don't want to be looking over their shoulder, uh, you know, every time they they facilitate a ceremony thinking, oh man, I hope, you know, this or that doesn't happen. So it tends to be that the people who have really committed themselves to this uh, this work and, and they see that as the, a path for them in terms of how they live their lives and how they be of service to others, uh, they tend to be in locations where this work is, is legal, uh, if not permitted. Gotcha. Do you have like a favorite location that you're like, this is the one if I'm like recommending it, I'm like, that's the place to go. Yeah, you know, our, our retreat in, um, in Costa Rica is pretty special. Um, it's just a beautiful location. Um, we, we probably send 60% or so of our of our guests there, because it's just such a magical place. And, uh, you know, it's not too far from uh, from the US. So that that's helpful for people as well.
Awesome. And just lastly, and this is, I guess, a big question that could have kind of a, a broad, like, yes or no to it. When do you think that we will see things like this legalized in countries like the U.S.? Yeah, so they've already legalized psilocybin, the magic mushroom, in Oregon. Um, that was, uh, I guess it was last year. Yep, and state. <laughs> there you go. And, and so, you know, the, it's, it's a bit fraught, right? If, I don't know if you've been keeping up to date with the, the latest and greatest there, but certainly there hasn't been a great deal of, shall we say, commercial uh, excitement around it because the way that they've split the, um, the requirements between a person who provides the mushroom, a, a, a facility that actually hosts an experience, and a person who actually facilitates the experience. So there's a lot of overheads. There's a lot of question marks around federal taxes um, and a bunch of limitations around who can and cannot and how it can be served. Um, and so actually, you've got you end up with this quite funny dynamic whereby the people who are the most uh, experienced in doing this work have no interest in stepping through a formal program in order to be limited in what they can and cannot do. And they're just like, sorry, I've been doing this for 20 years. It's not your place to tell me uh, what I can and cannot do after I pay you $10,000 for the privilege of you telling me how to do what I've been doing for 20 years. So you end up with this dynamic where you've got um, a bunch of, you know, young 20-somethings uh, often uh, who are super excited about becoming psychedelic therapists and facilitators, etc. Um, having the stripes and the, you know, the accreditation and the uh, plaque on the wall, shall we say, with much less experience. And then the underground train, the underground people who have been doing this for a long, long time saying, look, I'm going to continue to do these, uh, you know, at my place as I always have done. And I have no interest in any of your rules and regulations. So I think Colorado is another interesting one to watch. You know, there's certainly being a lot more uh, liberal, I would say, in terms of uh, decriminalizing the personal use thereof uh, for psychedelics and then allowing people to sell services around uh, psychedelics. So, um, you know, you could you could pay me to come in and, um, you know, facilitate and guide your experience, but I wouldn't be able to sell you mushrooms, for example. Uh, and so I think we'll, we're going to see many different permutations of many different models in many different states. And I think, you know, that's actually historically been a great strength of the United States of America is that, you know, different states, different towns even try different things in order to see what works. And so we naturally just gravitate and evolve towards the things that do uh, and away from the things that don't. And so I think, um, yeah, we will see a, a push for a federal medical model where it's clinics and it's uh, synthetic medicines and protocols and blah, blah, blah. And I really don't think that will work. I think the missing ingredient with this work is at the most basic level, it's love. And that's not something that we typically feel when we step into a clinic or we step into a hospital. And hopefully that can change over time too, because you know that's something that we want to feel everywhere that we go. Um, but the people who do this work well, they're really coming from the heart. Yeah. It's not like place your insurance card here. Now let me give you a hug. Exactly. Exactly. It's a completely different paradigm. It's a completely different way of looking at the human condition. It's not treatment oriented. It's much more focused upon 
the expansion and the discovery of what are is, is already there and allowing ourselves to release the things that are just not us yeah so in a short way we could see it legalized in more places relatively soonish but we're not going to see the beneficial effect until people are able to you know bring their operation up the way they want to the way that they are you know ready to to run and facilitate like you said until they can do those things the whole legalization of it is a very minor step yeah yeah exactly and i think you know even that being said let's just assume that it was legal in 50 states right um not not a bad idea to fly down to costa rica for a week and take some time out of your normal country and you know um, enjoy a really beautiful place in the rainforest for a week and then go sit on the beach for another week and integrate the experience and you know discover the new you in a place that doesn't have uh, old world expectations of you um, ahead of heading back home and and uh, you know getting back into your own rhythm so I think we will continue to see people travel uh, for these experiences far beyond um, far beyond uh, any legalization efforts. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been awesome. I have appreciated your time immensely. I wanted to make sure you got some time to tell people where to find you and everything else you're doing. Yeah, sure. You can find us at uh, behold-retreats.com. And, um, you know, we, we do things a little bit differently. You have to speak to a real human being uh, in order to be invited to one of our retreats. So if uh, what I've shared is of interest, come and check us out and uh, let's have a chat. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you, Colton. Do you feel more educated after listening to this episode of the Just Dumb Enough podcast? If you enjoyed the episode, please take a brief moment to rate the show five stars on iTunes, Spotify, or Audible. If you're not listening on any of those, leave a comment wherever you are listening and tell me what you think of the show. If you really like what I'm doing, remember to subscribe for more episodes every week and check out the ever-expanding backlog. Let me know what you'd like to hear next by reaching out and emailing me, dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com or by sending a message to me on any of the show pages like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or wherever else. I'm always looking for new topics, guest ideas, and questions from the audience. The updated March rankings as we just passed the midpoint. Number one, the United States with Oregon, Texas, and Washington as top states. Number two, the United Kingdom. Number three, Australia, back in the top three after having overtaken Canada and led by Victoria. Number four, Canada, with Ontario firmly holding top province. And number five, Sweden, beating out Germany and New Zealand. Sweden is led back into the top five by Stockholm. That's it for today. I'll see you all back here on Thursday for a major conspiracy. Bye-bye.